0: I'm Danielle Town. I'm here today with one of my wonderful friends, and frankly, one of the most brilliant people I know, Annalisa Gigante. Annalisa is the former CTO of Lafarge Wholesome, and she was the executive committee member of a Deco group. Her career uh, over her entire life has centered on growth businesses and award-winning innovation in life sciences, chemicals, and services. So serious stuff. None of this sort of intellectual, exciting, you know, innovation craziness. She's talking about real things that she has had to innovate her way around, and she now serves as the board member of the Henry Royce Institute for Advanced Materials Research and Innovation, and she's also a board member of the Cambridge Enterprise, which is Cambridge University's seed funding seed funding and entrepreneurship hub. Annalisa, thank you so much for coming on the Invested Podcast today.
1: Such a pleasure to be here,
0: Danielle. So you're an expert generally in innovation, which... When I first met you, I said, What the heck is that? (laughs) So, maybe tell everybody, What the heck is that? When you say you're an innovator, you lead innovation, what does innovation
1: mean? It is a very good question because I think everybody uses it in a different way. But Mm. in the innovation community, we have quite a tight definition of what that is. Ah. And it means creating value and bringing new things to the market. So, answering problems with Solutions. And these solutions don't necessarily have to be products. They can also be services or new business models. So that's where the breadth comes from. But it is about deploying things and bringing them to market.
0: Not so much actually about creating moonshot ideas, which is kind of how I think the layperson thinks about innovation. But it sounds very
1: specific. It's not invention. Absolutely. It's not about invention and it's not about research. But you do need both in order to then do innovation with them.
0: So generally today on the podcast, let's talk about how we can find that in companies. What sort of company, this is a broad question, you can do whatever you want with it. What sort of company is an innovative company? Like if I say innovative company, what sort of company do you think of?
1: Right, so in principle, innovation can come from absolutely anywhere. And no matter the industry you're in, um, you can try and think of things in a new way and bring them to market. But there are some standout companies out there um, that have continued to bring innovative products and solutions to market over time, getting better and better and better. Uh, The obvious example is Apple. Um, Hmm. So they started, um, you know, really thinking differently, right? (laughs) They're trying to to look at how to use computers differently. Um, But I think it all really came together when they launched the iPhone. And they basically answered an unspoken need from the market and created um, this set of customers that they could serve with more and more products and a stronger ecosystem of products over time. And, they're a great example because not all the innovations they do are breakthrough. Some of them clearly are. But some of them can just be incremental. Um, if you're in the consumer tech business, you know that you have these annual launch cycles. So we know that from the launch cycles, some are incremental, better at this, stronger at that, and some are really step changes. Um, But within their corporate culture, within their organization, they have been able to build the system where people can work together from all different um, backgrounds and all different knowledge bases to really solve the problem.
0: Let's talk about that. The culture of the company allow, not just allowing, encouraging, requiring innovation. One thing about the iphone coming out which you mentioned that i find so interesting is that they had they essentially cannibalized their big well, at least one of their biggest products which was the ipod they put into the iphone the ipod and by doing so essentially took i think it was 5 billion dollars a year of revenue from the ipod and just disappeared it and you know gambled that people would want that in a phone I find that extraordinary and a huge risk. And actually, I think something that people at Apple really argued, some people at Apple really argued against when it was happening. But culture, the company culture that Jobs created allowed that to go forward or forced it to go forward. I don't know. What do you think? What's your perspective on companies? Right. So this is
1: one of the major issues when you're leading a large company of when do you pull the trigger? When do you say that business A, which is what made you what you are, is no longer going to bring you to the next stage and you have to flip to business B. Yes. And you know, there are famous examples of companies who haven't been able to do that. Kodak Most is the them. best one, right? So yeah. Kodak had all the IP. They had all the patents on digital technology. They just never pulled the trigger because they were so good at doing what they did with That's physical So insane. and chemicals. So for me, you know, what we used to call a Kodak moment now means something completely different. It's no longer the beautiful picture, which now we would call Instagrammable. Yeah. But it is a Kodak moment of when does a company not build on their next stage, even though they have all the elements that will allow them to do that. And exactly. that has to do with corporate culture, with leadership, and with decision-making structure. And what would you describe
0: as the best? I don't even know if that's a good question to ask. What's a, maybe not the best. What's the great, a great way that a company has, um, has set its company up, its structure, its hierarchy um, so that it can encourage innovation? Or what's the best way if you have a best?
1: So for me, that's kind of this counterintuitive part of how you use your risk management process. You know, it's one of the key things that a board of directors looks at, you know, through the audit committee. But if you only look at how can things go wrong, you become very safe. You know, you're looking at, oh, don't do this because something might go wrong. Um, If you flip that, what if we don't do this, what happens? Your discussions completely change. So if there's new technology on the horizon that somehow fits within your industry or can have an application within your ecosystem, the question isn't, oh, will we be disrupted?" It's what happens if we don't understand this technology, if we don't understand how we can apply it to our business. And if you do that, then your whole thinking kind of turns the other way around. and, And you understand that in fact, the biggest margins are made when risks are there, but you mitigate for um, the biggest risks and you still go for it.
0: That's exactly what Amazon's done in that when somebody comes up with a new idea, anyone who's against it has to actually write a memo saying why they think it's a bad idea and present it to their whole team rather than the flip side. Of somebody having to write a memo explaining why it's a good idea and having to present that to the whole team. It's assumed to be worth going after and trying and putting a little bit of resources behind it. It's not assumed that it's not worth going after. And I find that flip so fascinating in what it's created in that company.
1: Yeah. And the question is how do we make that, you know, what needs to be true for this to work? And then that's the problem that you work on. And and it's that change of mindset that that really kind of brings teams together to try and solve problems. Tell me more about that. What what needs to be So in innovation, um, we're used to things going wrong. Like it's our daily job. Um, So across industries um, of 11 projects that are funded, so not ideas, projects that are given money to, Only two of them reach the market and only one of them is a success. So this is the average that you're competing with across industries. It doesn't matter what technology, what business you're in. And so we are always battling against the odds. And you have to start thinking in terms of, you know, what can derail this and how can I fix that part of it? And then what is the next thing that can derail the project and how do I fix that?
0: So it's kind of that yin and yang of we're going for it. How do we mitigate potential fallout? But we're going for it. We're lean, We're erring on the side of going for it.
1: Absolutely. And, uh, you know, another company that has this kind of contrary view is X. So part of Alphabet it used to be called Google X. And mm. People probably know it as Google X. Um, so they work really hard to try and understand um What businesses are out there that are potential billion-dollar opportunities? And once they come across one, the next day they try and say, what are the things that can go wrong? So you work really hard to identify your billion-dollar opportunity. And then before you even start putting any talent on this, the first thing is, what are all the things that can go wrong? Are these fixable? can we do it with the technology that is there? If not, is it a technology that we can invent? And if not, then they just move on. And I think what, what's interesting about their system is that they're very good at moving on from projects. Mm. And this is another thing connected to culture. That we sometimes struggle with in innovation. You know, we fall in love with an idea and really want a project to succeed against yeah, the odds. Yeah. And, and sometimes, you know, even if we kill them, they keep reviving. And, and that's why they've got this, this wonderful uh, nickname of Zombie Projects. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but that's the bane of of any R&D and innovation team where, you know, these projects that sort have of cost you money, but that, you know, you should move on from keep kind of coming up.
0: Is that where company structure can come into play? Many companies uh, structure so that you're on a team and that team is there to create the iPhone. And if you don't create the iPhone, you probably lose your job or get put onto some team that isn't quite as good because you failed. Whereas a company that supports people who are going for things that are probably going to fail would, I think, treat things a different
1: way. How, how have you seen that be handled? That is absolutely what is at stake. So organizational structure has a huge impact on how people will behave on a project. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, would, yeah. And, you know, I, I remember having these conversations with our structure when I was uh, working with DSM. We had Often these kind of issues where, you know, we would work on a project and then people will try and keep it going and going and going because they didn't know that outside of this project that might be able to have an even better job. Hmm. And once we change that paradigm, saying the quicker you close a project that doesn't live up to its potential, the quicker you can move to one that will explode.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and but you're, it's not, not, an you're easy... not penalized for being the one who says, hey, this isn't working.
1: Absolutely. But it's a difficult change of mentality, particularly for large companies where your organizational structure is written somewhere, right? And you have to kind of move from one box to the next. And that's why today so many people talk about agile organizations, right? So project mm-hmm. teams that can come together to solve a particular project and then move on and do something else. A little mm-hmm. bit like the film industry does as a whole.
0: Mm, that's an interesting analogy. Also, while you were talking about being able to grab onto an idea and then immediately find all the things that are wrong with it, it, just, it it's exactly the way we talk about investing on this podcast and the way I try to practice my investing. But I have never, ever thought about it as an innovative process. And it was just, it just struck me. Yeah, that's exactly what we do. We try to find some cool company and then immediately discern what's actually going on behind the facade by reading everything I can about it, and then use a checklist to find more problems that could come up that I may have not just naturally thought of, and only then allow myself to start to get a little bit excited. So it's it's actually really, really similar. And it's a system that works. It's a system that allows us to pretty quickly weed out the stuff that isn't going to work, which is the same.
1: That is such a great example. And, uh, you know, whether you talk about investing or whether you talk about, you know, applying technology, <laughs> you really do have the same kind of thinking, you know, what can go wrong? How can I fix it? How do I get an early warning? Yeah. Uh, so so I can fix something that's going to happen.
0: Yeah. And when do I get out? Right. Uh, so we've got, we've talked about kind of the culture of the company in terms of, encouraging people to start new ideas and put up their hand and say this isn't working and fail fast, so to speak. Um, we've talked about the structure. What else, what else in a company do you look for?
1: So in pre-COVID times, I used to call it a, a corridor test. Ooh. You know, you go visit companies, Mm-hmm. And you know, from sitting in reception or going to a corridor, whether it's a buzzy, energetic place or whether it is, ah, and
0: uh-huh. it doesn't
1: matter. You know what is written on the website, or what kind of cool things they might produce, or what the annual report looks like. Actually, that test for me is more meaningful than many other things. What I is don't that have test looking at today?
0: Is it like happiness oh. of employees? Like what? What kind of energy of employees? What are you thinking about with that test? Just movement. Huh.
1: You know, are uh, people? talking to each other? Are they going from one office to another? Do they say hi in the corridor? You know, how do they look at you if you're a stranger and you're visiting the first time? Tiny little things, but cumulatively, they tell you a lot about a culture. And in innovation, you do have to be open to the outside rather than relying on you know, the, the things that you know from your colleagues or your internal processes. And so, hmm. for me, that also shows you, you know, whether an organization is open to that or not. You I'm talk kind about of using an... a proxy for it today, but yeah, yeah. Well, I suppose
0: there's online uh, chat rooms and Reddit and all of that, which kind of can give you an idea. But that's its own ecosystem on its own. And you talk about an innovation ecosystem. Is that what you mean by an innovation e- ecosystem, or uh, larger?
1: Yes, I mean, you can apply the ecosystem to small and large areas, right? So within a company, an ecosystem is working not just with your close colleagues, but also people in other functions in other countries. Hmm. But there is a wider ecosystem even outside the company. And sometimes, especially when you're in very large ones, it's difficult to reach out, right? Because there is so much gravity um, produced by your own company. And it's so much easier to get in touch with people But as innovators, you you really have to work hard to look outside of that. Not all the good ideas are going to come from, you know, your way of thinking or your interpretation of what is going on. You really do need to reach outside. And innovation as it best really works in between the borders between things, Hmm. Um, different knowledge bases, different technologies. It's putting different things together that create that spark and and show you perhaps an easier solution to the problem.
0: It's that Google. Uh, what was it? They gave something like twenty percent of the time to just come up with whatever. I I mean, it was you didn't even have to come up with anything, but something like 20, I think it was twenty percent of the time an employee can just spend time doing working on whatever idea they have, working on whatever they want. And if they show up with nothing, that's also fine. But some of the best ideas at Google came out of that
1: 20%. Yes, and actually, it was a wonderful way of attracting brilliant talent yeah, at the true. Very beginning.
0: True, what a perk. So the ecosystem is larger The culture is (laughs) within the company. And then I'm thinking like, okay, so that's if you're in the company and you're able to go walk the halls as we can not right now. And frankly, most of us are never going to walk the halls of the companies that we're looking at. So how can we as outside investors, as people really just having access to the annual reports and the information online and business and investing journalism and interviews that company leaders give. How can we get a sense of that ecosystem? What stuff do you look at when you're learning about companies that you're not involved in?
1: So I look at output rather than R&D spending.
0: Hmm. So Tell me have that. they
1: come up with new solutions in the last period, you know, be it a year, whatever? Have they thought about a new way of solving a customer problem? And How quickly were they able to um, not just test it in one market, but really move it out at scale throughout different markets? Um, And there is such a difference between, you know, just investing in R&D and then showing the output in terms of new products, new services, etc.
0: I think that's what's hard to see as an outsider is, okay? here's their investment. Here's what they say they're doing. What are they actually putting out what's the result of something that they started two years ago and then maybe just never told people about ever again and just hoped that everyone would forget about it that kind of stuff is always i try to track it and it's very hard to track sometimes because they don't have to tell us these things
1: Right. So apart from the pharma business that does a very good job of showing, you know, what their pipeline looks like, what's in, you know, phase one, two, three, et cetera.
0: Yeah, Um, that's actually a great point. That's an easier one. You know,
1: I've always been pushing for companies in other industries to take a leaf from the pharma industry. Hmm. Um, You know, you can still be covered by your intellectual property and and all those other things, but it's not until you... Tell the market and you make yourself accountable for reaching uh, different milestones that you can create an uptick in market capitalization that pays for that innovation
0: oh, tell me more about that. So do you actually look for companies that say we are going to do this in two years and they say that publicly and then track it for the market?
1: Is that what you're talking about? well, I would love to see this across more industries, but if you just look at the pharma industry, you can see that as their pipeline improves or as they get some very interesting things from phase two clinical trials to phase three clinical trials, for example, you can see an uptake in their stock price. So actually- Directly, yeah. You can start seeing that the way you invest in innovation pays off differently. You don't just have to- invest for 10 years to get a new drug to market, then sell it, have it IP protected for a while and use those margins to pay yourself back. In reality, what happens during that period is that your stock price goes up in anticipation of the additional sales. And that's what allows you to kind of reinvest in innovation. Hmm a much quicker way, this is what startups rely on, right? When they become unicorns, for example.
0: Kind of a virtuous cycle of innovation.
1: Yes, for sure. Uh, But, you know, the trick is in delivering. So the trick is in creating that output. Um, And you can only do it if you make yourself accountable for reaching certain milestones.
0: One thing I've a few times tried to set up for myself, and I haven't really followed through on it, but this is making me think maybe I should work more on it, is make notes of what a company does say about what they're working on so that then in a year, two years, five years, I can look back at my own notes. And even if they never mention that thing again, I will know that they never mentioned that thing again, that they didn't say... Hey, that didn't work because I would love a company to say, remember last year when we told you this thing, it didn't work. And now we're working on this other thing because that's honest. That's giving me great information as an investor. It's the ones that never mention it again that worry me.
1: For sure. And, and good innovation learns a lot from failures. Yes. Yes. So the story is we closed this failures. project we closed this project, it didn't work because here is what we learned. And this is what is informing us for our next set of uh, goals. Um, And for me, I'm particularly curious these days of looking at all of this, you know, with all the companies that are signed up for carbon zero goals.
0: Oh, interesting. Yeah.
1: There was some analysis done about a year ago uh, that about 23, 24% of the Fortune 500 had already signed up to some set of fact-based, science-based carbon zero goal between now and 2030 or 2040. Hmm. Um, Fast forward a, a year with all of this disruption, this has grown a lot. And for me, this is so interesting because so many companies have said, okay, this is what we want to do. Within 10 years, we will be able to do XYZ. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy
0: Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the
1: whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. And, and this is the perfect way to create innovation inside a company. You know, you've got a very clear goal. You know the kind of solutions that your technology or your company can provide. And it really focuses the mind of everybody in the company to try and solve that with their special source, you know, with their special knowledge. And I'm expecting a lot of new things uh, to come from there and, and build upon each other.
0: Are there different kinds of innovation? I feel like you've mentioned a few already just in our talk, a few different ways of thinking about it. Do you think about it as in a structure of types of
1: innovation? Yes. So there's, there's two ways of looking at innovation. One is timelines, so horizon one, two, and three. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what can you do within the next six months, a year? What can you do within more of a the next goal. three to four years? And what can you do further on? There's another proxy for that, is that things that you can do in horizon one are more incremental. You know, I can fix this. I can make that more efficient. I can repackage this. You know, and things that are ten year plus are, are substantially different, you mm-hmm. know? Um, real breakthrough type innovations. It, they don't automatically go together, but thinking in terms of time horizons does help. Um, the other way to look at it is to how how are you putting your skills to work on solutions that are outside of your core business.
0: So if things are
1: very close to your core business, you can think of them as incremental. But if they are further, you can think of them as, you know, substantially different breakthroughs of some kind.
0: Oh, that's so kind of the disruptive innovation that would more typically come from other companies, right? From startups, from people really creating something new.
1: Absolutely. And Clay Christensen, who's a, real hero of mine in the innovation space, had this wonderful quote that disruptive innovation creates jobs and (laughs) innovation for efficiency destroys them. And I think it's such an interesting lens to look at innovation through. Yeah, say that again. So disruptive innovation creates jobs and innovation that focuses on efficiency destroys them. It's such a, I'm
0: so glad you brought that out because right now in this insane COVID environment that we have of the lockdowns and companies really, really, many companies really struggling, many companies doing gangbusters because of the change in our lives, we have seen so many jobs be lost. And I hate to think of innovation as being something that leads more towards robots and and less jobs, uh, for humans. But that is what we kind of see, um, as lay people.
1: So here's a view. A year ago, most large companies would prefer to spend their innovation money on increasing efficiency. You know, how can I automate my production, for example?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: But that costs us this year in terms of resilience. Oh, so with the view that we have today, I look at things very differently. Tell me and more again, about that. It's how with does, that how does it, risk um, management view, right?
0: Yeah, how does it reduce resilience to eliminate jobs and and be more efficient?
1: So, if things always go the same way, you can get a computer to do. The job of you know somebody who might look at quality control, for example, mm-hmm. on, a, on a production site. But if things go wrong in an unexpected way, and you no longer have people that are looking after that process with their knowledge base, that process that goes wrong takes a long time to get fixed. Mm. Yeah.
0: and huge so this is of money how you can be lost in the meantime. It. Yeah. So as you're looking at companies dealing with this stuff right now, have you seen any that have done really, really well? And you've said, oh, this was one I didn't really notice before, but they've responded so well to the crisis that now they're on my radar.
1: So I've seen some amazing examples of putting skills to work to solve the current problems. One unexpected one was in the formula one area. So Mercedes formula one put their engineering skills to work, got together with uh, hospitals and universities and tried to look at ways that they could help create a new type of ventilator. Mm -hmm. You know, it it was a period where there weren't any formula one uh, grand prix going on. Um, And It had so many good effects. One is, um, you know, this fast way of prototyping and thinking came from a fast engineering area into a hospital area where it was never (laughs) used before. And on the other hand, the guys who had those skills and were kind of turning around in circles because (laughs) they couldn't use them, could put them to work to solve a problem for society right now. So so it had positive repercussions all over. And it gave everybody that example of what you can do uh, when things are clear. And the fact that actually your skills um, can be put to work in so many different areas.
0: That Mercedes, it was Mercedes, right? The Mercedes Correct. Formula One yeah. team. That team is just incredible. They, they're amazing. they amazing. I'm a huge Formula One fan and they, uh, they won the championship this year and Formula One just ended recently and they... Um, They won the driver's championship. They just win everything. And they do it because of their culture in their team being so good. People want to work for them. And you can see it in contrast. I mean, I'm a huge
1: fan too. And exactly. I think their leadership is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. The the way that they work together is amazing. And they have exactly that combination of um, incremental improvement. So never sitting on their laurels which allows them to keep getting better over time. And then occasionally that breakthrough improvement in the car that then puts them at the top for a very long time. But they don't stop there because they've got this mindset of how do we improve it and go from here.
0: I've learned honestly. I've learned so much about management and culture just from watching Formula One this year. It's so weird. Like I'm such a dork about it. The other thing I've learned from them, which has been uh, definitely in my mind, just in terms of like how I can approach my own life, is they don't blame anybody. When there's an issue, they attack the problem. They don't try to figure out whose fault it was. And maybe they do a little bit just to make sure that, like, it doesn't happen again, right? But it's not about blame. It's not about firing anybody. And that is so different from the way other teams and other companies run. And it makes it so that people are not afraid to put their hand up. Describe what happened. They're not covering things up and they're not out for themselves. They're there to support the team and figure it out so it doesn't happen again. And they've had a number of problems this year. They're not like a magical problem free team, but they have every time run that process and they come out better for it. And it's just so impressive. And it's something I remind myself of. Like, be more like yeah. it's so nerdy. Like, be more like Mercedes F1. I don't know. <laughs>
1: So so there's a couple of things in there. One is that, um, you know, by by sharing this, you're basically asking your network to solve new problems. You know, if problems have already come up before, you've solved them, get to know what they are Hmm. (laughs) Uh, so that you're ready to solve a brand new problem that hasn't come up yet. Yeah, Um, it clears the decks in a way. And for me, the the other part, and, and you know, the Formula One area is a great example but so is space. So for me, the, the wonderful example is NASA. I remember, you know, when my daughter was quite young, you know, we were watching um, some astronauts on the International Space Station going for a spacewalk. And clearly, very soon, something went wrong. Hmm. And so I was there with my daughter saying, OK, now pay attention hmm. to how they speak to each other. And It was so different from what you see in the movies. In the movies, you see people going, ah, and running around and screaming and trying to get attention. And all of a sudden, everybody's voice was calm. Hmm. And they just worked the problem. And they were saying, you know, some things that were kind of life-threatening to a couple of people uh, going on the spacewalk. But everybody was super calm, analyzing the problem, working on it little by little and they solved
0: it. It's a tremendous example. Oh man, God, there's so much to learn about innovation. What are your other favorite companies? Which ones do you love reading about and learning more about? Who are you following? Right now,
1: I'm doing a lot of work on carbon zero. I think, you know, this is the decade when we're gonna make some really big things happen. Well, we have to make some big things happen. And I'm really enjoying seeing which companies are stepping up to the plate Hmm. and and making big pivots. You know, they, they might not quite have all the elements there. They might not quite get the culture yet, but they've got their ideas firmly on the prize. And BP is a great example of, you know, a company you might not have expected to make that big pivot and say, you know what, we are going to be contributing significantly to carbon zero goals and here's how we're going to do it.
0: No, yeah. Tell tell me about it. I don't know actually what BP is doing.
1: Um, so earlier this year, they they came up with a brand new strategy, um, and they said that they were going to work on renewable energies and trying to get all of that to market. Um, you know, within kind of a sh- quite a short time, twenty thirty timelines for, hmm. for certain things, um, and it completely changed their organization, uh, what kind of things they're putting money towards. You know, okay, even so because I understanding- hear that stuff
0: and I go, yeah, you know, marketing nah, it doesn't mean anything. So, But then you followed it up by saying they've changed something. So then you start to know, okay, they're actually doing something about it.
1: Yes, they've changed their organization. They changed what they spend money on. You can really see these things starting to take hold. And, and that, for me, makes a huge difference. Uh, and I'm always curious then to see what their competitors are up to, right? Whether they, they, they kind of react to it or not. And, and for me, the example was Shell. So Shell had also made some really interesting investments um, in carbon zero tech of different types. They had hired some, some great people. And then last week, I was reading an article on the FT that explained that a lot of people in these areas have decided to quit the company. Oh. And so you're seeing how this is playing out in real time. Yeah. It is so interesting.
0: Do you get your information just from the same kind of sources that I could get information from journalism, like the FT? For sure. Okay. Yeah. So it's nothing, you don't have any secret
1: uh <laughs> innovation no but i'm so, just you know because i'm a geek on these kind of things then, then maybe i could, I could be between the lines um, but for me it was interesting because uh, say two years ago these two companies for me were in a very different place you know i could yeah. see um shell hiring some key personnel making some interesting moves um you know and, and then all of a sudden bp really went for it Hmm. And, and then when you read these kind of articles, you say, oh, I wonder what's happening to make that, you know, make that happen.
0: And then you start following and you start understanding what they're doing and you see if they're actually backing it up with action.
1: Yeah. And, and, and you know, in, in some cases, it's one of those long term, short term discussions, right? So um, how how does your ecosystem and your stakeholders allow you to potentially take a short term hit? in order to make you know, long-term strides, and, and this area is it's very important for that. And you know, if you have lots of uh, shareholders, um, you know, where, where there's pension money invested, you might feel that you can't really make those big steps. So you know, there, there's good reasons all around. Um, but you really start seeing some some differential moves in this area and I just find that fascinating to follow
0: I hope we see it more and more. I think it's becoming, innovation is becoming more and more important publicly to big companies. It's not just something that people talk about internally anymore. It's something that they're willing to share and, and feel like investors, hope. I hope they're feeling like investors are willing to go with them on these journeys of transformation.
1: Well, And in the area of carbon zero in particular, um, I I really have the strong view that the biggest uh, impact at scale can be done only with business-to-business solutions. Mm -hmm. It's only with large companies making big changes and then implementing them and rolling them out at scale that we can make a huge change. Hmm. Whereas most of the discussion in the previous years was really focused on B to C changes. So how can you, as an individual, choose product A instead of product B, right? Um, but that has some, some difficulties, right? You're making your life more complicated. Uh, you know, you, you might have to spend some more money. Um, so and our funds are not this as isn't,
0: powerful as those of a huge corporation one person doing something this doesn't get you there
1: as fast as yeah so these are all good things but i see that more as incremental (laughs) whereas big corporations doing big b2c moves in carbon zero are going to make that breakthrough happen oh i'm so
0: excited about this i love that that's your prediction i hope it comes true and uh i'm gonna leave it there i've loved getting to talk to you today thank you so much for coming on and sharing i hope you'll come back maybe you come back in a year and we can see uh if bp is still sticking to what they said they would do let's see
1: (laughs) that would be wonderful i'd love to thank you so much Um, for your invitation
0: annalisa how can listeners find out more about what you're
1: up to connect with me on linkedin it'd be a pleasure
0: go find annalisa on linkedin uh if you look like a nice person maybe she'll accept you and
1: follow whatever
0: she's doing, because it's always interesting. Annalisa, thank you again so much. Thank you. And thanks everybody. Bye bye. Hi guys. Thanks for listening to invested. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more information or to listen to additional episodes, visit our website at investedpodcast.com and sign up for my virtual workshop right there. Spots are definitely limited for this event. I'm not kidding. They really are. They sell out very quickly. So everything discussed on this podcast, by the way, is either my opinion or it's Danielle's opinion, and really important, it's not to be taken as investing advice, because I am not your financial advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. So remember that, you're on your own here. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only, and I really hope you enjoyed it.